In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. They went off and preached repentance. The twelve drove out many demons, and they anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. It seems as though there have been a great many anointings that have been happening over the last week or two. And it's always an encouraging sign when a priest gets summoned to visit someone at home or in the hospital because they're sick. It's, it's encouraging in the way that when, when there's a meal, someone says, oh, Father, would you lead us in grace? It shows a kind of understanding and, and sensibility. In the same way that people are, you know, about to have a baby and they already begin to plan the baptism so that the baptism is soon after the birth and not uh, nine months later when the family reunion can take place. Being summoned to the bedside of someone who's ill or even arranging for an anointing in the hospital or, or here in the church is an encouraging sign. It shows that a lot of the faith has taken hold. It's a very different experience to be in Italy, for instance, to visit someone to give them the anointing of the sick because they associate the priest coming for the anointing with the grim reaper coming and taking away the dead. And so it's usually looks of shock and horror when a priest is walking through a hospital in Rome, very different from uh, the looks of encouragement and peace and, and gratitude. Uh, around here. Part of that may be due to how the sacrament used to be discussed. Uh, our parents and grandparents would have known the sacrament as extreme unction and would be associated with the moment of death, but unnecessarily so. The Catechism of the Council of Trent, which is the Roman Catechism, the defining document since the 1500s, explains the sacrament in this way. Naturally, the sacrament is not to be administered to persons in sound health. It is, however, a very grievous sin to defer the holy unction until all hope of recovery being lost, life begins to ebb. And so a first section for you, a first consideration for you, is that the sacrament of the anointing of the sick is for the living. Now, that being said, we have other aberrations that take place these days. There are places where everyone might be invited to come up and, and be anointed, everyone who has a sniffle or a cough or a headache, and that would be an abuse of the sacrament. But the sacrament is, is for those who are alive, that they may be healed, that they may be forgiven of their sins, that they may be drawn closer to God whether it be to serve him longer on earth or to praise and worship him in heaven. It's good to remember a few little details about the sacrament. The sacrament isn't uh, for babies. Babies already are in the state of grace, already baptized, already uh, fully receptive to God's grace. Those of us who are older and more complicated, we need the sacrament. We need the sacrament to take away our, our fear of suffering to take away the temptation to despair when we, uh, when we ail. Moreover, the sacrament can't be administered by anyone but a priest. It's not simply an anointing, but it's preceded by confession. 
And so if you are ill and want the sacrament or calling for a priest, know that if the person is awake, they'll be going to confession and then going to receive anointing. There's obviously a little bit, little bit of wiggle room. If they've been to confession in the last few days, it's not necessary. And we can also be prepared for the person on the other end of the phone, the priest or whoever is taking messages for the priest, to ask, hopefully discreetly, um, you know, is it urgent? Do I need to, you know, interrupt uh, mass to pull someone off the altar because someone is about to die out in the parking lot? Or can, you know, can Father come later today or the next day? There is an operative principle which is true from the Roman Catechism of the 1500s as much as it's true of the current ritual for the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, which is that the person is dangerously ill or seriously ill. The Latin word is periculose. And so it would go without saying that I wouldn't be anointing someone who is having cosmetic surgery or I wouldn't be anointing someone who is about to get on an airplane. I would say, go to confession, I'll give you a blessing, and I'll see you in a week. You'll be fine. Considering the connection between confession and anointing identifies it as a sacrament that must be administered by a priest. But if the person for whom you are summoning the priest for the sacrament is not able to go to confession because they are unresponsive, maybe in a coma or, or just... Uh, not alert, we shouldn't think that that means, oh goody, we can bypass confession. There's another set of questions that might happen if the living person who was to receive the sacrament can't answer questions on their own. It happened to me about 15 years ago at Georgetown Hospital when I, I should have asked more questions than I did, but I learned my lesson. It was a gentleman who was, who was ill and uh, wasn't awake, wasn't able to answer questions. And his wife took advantage of that to, to bring in the priest. Well, as it turns out, the gentleman doesn't believe the Catholic faith, doesn't want to receive the sacraments, and already had an animus against the church. Needless to say, a few days later, when he woke up and was told, oh, the priest came and did those priest things, he was none too pleased. He was pretty angry and actually had yet another obstacle between him and the church, between him and the sacraments. And so another set of questions will be, when, when this person last spoke to you, do you think that they wanted to receive the sacraments? Do you think they would want to go to confession? Because the sacrament is a sacrament. It's the power of God. And you have the ability to obstruct the power of God. It's not magic. It's a sacrament. In the same way that if some young person is coming up here to receive confirmation, but is inside their head saying, I don't believe in this. This is all nonsense. I'm just doing this to get my parents off my back. Well, guess what? They actually don't receive the sacrament. Or if someone is walking down the aisle on their wedding day and they are totally scared and wish they had gotten out of it, but feel like they have to go through it, but they really don't want to be married to this person, or in a more ordinary circumstance, someone is thinking that we'll be happily married until we're not, and then when we're not happily married, I'll marry somebody else. 
Well, guess what? They actually don't receive the sacrament of holy matrimony because they are not receptive to the grace that God wants to impart in that sacrament. And so even the person who is unresponsive is still a living person, and their soul is either open to God or not. It's not as though when we fall asleep, we all of a sudden turn into angels and are perfectly, you know, perfectly contrite for all our sins. Who we are when we're awake is who we are when we're asleep. And so I encourage you not to wait until uh, the last minute. We try to nudge, encourage, pray for, intercede uh, the living. Uh, and, and don't wait until it's, until it's close to the end. The sacrament is very definitely for the living. It's very definitely for them to be healed. When we hear the way the sacrament is discussed in the letter of James, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, we hear very clearly how the church originally and still understands the sacrament. Fittingly enough, it begins with a question. Are there any who are sick among you? Let them send for the priests of the church and let the priests pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick persons and the Lord will raise them up. And if they have committed any sins, their sins will be forgiven them. In the same way that the paralytic was carried by four friends to our Lord, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick intrinsically involves the whole church summoning a priest or bringing a sick person to the church to receive the anointing. That's not just accidental. That even manifests itself in the celebration of the sacrament. There's a prayer right before the laying on of hands. The sacrament happens with the silent laying on of hands and then the anointing on the forehead and on the hands. And there's a prayer that the church uses now, uh, a little bit of a a litany right before the silent laying on of hands. It goes like this. Come and strengthen her through this holy anointing. Lord, have mercy. Free her from all harm. Lord, have mercy. Free her from sin and all temptation. Lord, have mercy. Relieve the sufferings of all the sick. Lord, have mercy. Assist all those dedicated to the care of the sick. Lord, have mercy. Give life and health to our sister on whom we lay our hands in your name. Lord, have mercy. To my knowledge, it's the only time that the church puts the first person plural on my lips, except for when I say at the altar or on other occasions, let us pray, or we ask this through Christ our Lord. And so it's in everyone's name that the priest lays hand on the forehead of the sick. This is even obvious just in, in, in requests for prayer. When we're sick, we don't just simply ask the nearest person to pray for us. We ask someone whom we think is holy to pray for us, right? Usually a nun or a monk, sometimes the sacristan, sometimes our favorite grandmother. The priest is usually pretty low on the totem pole, which is, which is no insult because there are people who are uh, who are holier than me, who are coming to my confession, which is making me inspired to be holier than I would otherwise. But there's something unique about calling the priest because when I walk into a room, I'm not there because I'm me. I'm there because I'm your priest. 
And the people are encouraged not just because I visited and I gave them the sacrament, but because I tell them, we will be praying for you. The whole church is praying for you. Some of you know about the the prayer chain, the St. John prayer chain, which is an email that goes out to hundreds of people. When someone's sick or has a particular need, someone has died. Consider the numbers really quickly. We have just shy of 5,000 parishioners, not quite 1,700 households. And there are over 800 emails that receive the St. John prayer chain, which means if that's one email per household, over half of our homes are part of the prayer chain. Or if there's two, you know, one for mom and dad, then it's maybe a quarter of the homes. More than likely, it's somewhere in between. Somewhere between 30 and 40% of the households of this parish pray for the sick and everyone else who has asked us for prayers. That's quite impressive. It's really powerful. If you're not part of the prayer chain, I encourage you to either contact the parish office or go to the website um, to link up to it. And so the anointing of the sick is not just for the living, those who are seriously ill and need to benefit from the prayers of the church and the, and the sacrament that comes from the cross. This is something that benefits all of us. This, we are all involved in this. After the anointing, there's a beautiful prayer uh, that goes similarly. Father in heaven, through this holy anointing, grant your daughter... Comfort in her suffering when she is afraid. Give her courage when afflicted. Give her patience when dejected. Afford her hope. And when alone, assure her of the support of your holy people. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And so all of us are involved. We hear the names of the sick at Mass. We read the names of the sick uh, in the parish bulletin. Might be a good thing to clip out and put where you keep your other prayer intentions. There's one particular way and timely way in which we we benefit, the healthy benefit, uh, from this part of the mystical union of the body of Christ. It makes us less afraid of being sick. It makes us less afraid of dying. Because we know that God's holy people pray for each other. We know that God is present to the sick and the dying. It means we will never be alone whether it be in persecution or in just normal times of sickness and the prospect of death. Eventually, though, the sacrament we will receive or others will receive for the last time, right? The church reminds us that the sacrament may be repeated to the sick if they recover after being anointed and then fall ill again, or if during the same illness the person's condition becomes more serious. At some point in time, it will be the last anointing. And in the same way that there are special prayers for the last reception of Holy Communion, there are special prayers for the last anointing. It was a a very special privilege to be able to be at the bedside of of a dear old loved one a few months ago. As soon as I arrived, I anointed him. I anointed him before. And then after several hours of, of being there and praying, and we could tell from, from his breathing and, and from his heart rate that it was about to be the end. One thing that we were sure of doing is imparting the apostolic pardon. That's something that you all should have in your brain. When you're, when you're caring for someone who, who might die, 
not just right about to, but might die, the apostolic pardon is very important. You know that when you come out of the confessional, you've been absolved of guilt, but it doesn't mean that you're perfectly holy. It doesn't mean that all the damage done by sin has been healed. And that's why we do reparation. That's why we do penance, to heal the damage done by sin. A plenary indulgence would be an occasion when we've done something that disposes us so perfectly to God's grace that we are completely healed of all damage, which means that there would be nothing to do in purgatory, which is why we refer to that healing perfectly as a remission from all temporal punishment due to sin. Well, at the moment of death, the church doesn't hesitate to impart that perfect healing to someone. And so the prayer that I'm always privileged to offer at moments like that very definitely mean that not only are you present as a, as a parish church, but the entire church is present. It's almost as though the Pope is right there in the room with the person who's about to die. The prayer goes like this. By the authority which the apostolic see has given me, I grant you a full pardon and the remission of all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so this sacrament is not just for the living and not just for the healthy. It is also for the dying eventually. And there's a beautiful prayer that, um, that accompanies those who are, about to, who are about to leave us. So as you incorporate all of what is true about the sacrament, not only into your understanding of how to care for the sick, but also how we pray, consider a few points before I lead you in this last litany to commend the dying. When we pray for those who are sick or worried or in some way in distress, we usually pray that they be well, that they get over whatever is afflicting them. I encourage you to pray with a little more apostolic purpose. Pray that the sick may be healed in such a way that it so obviously manifests God's power and glory that other people realize God was here and come to believe in God because of the way this sick person has come back to health. Or if it's not God's will that they be restored to health and rather that they join him soon in heaven, that they be so imbued with God's grace and power and glory that it's obvious to everyone present God is here. There is no way that a human being would be able to be like this, live like this, be so charitable, be so patient, be so kind, were it not for the power of God. Let's not only pray that, that sick people get better or that dying people go quickly to heaven, but that God be recognized and adored and honored because of the way he was with this soul in need. And if this seems a little, um, a little out of place on a happy Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection, Consider why it is that we're able to be offering the sacrament to others. When we gather for Sunday Mass, we certainly celebrate the resurrection. But we're celebrating the entire mystery of salvation. And so we are accompanying Christ, who is dying on the cross. And we do so confident that he will rise from the dead. He will ascend into heaven. He will bring us with him. So our prayers here of every Sunday, the prayers of the church, the source and summit of the Christian life, are our attending to someone who is suffering, whom we know will reveal the power and the glory of God. And so we need not be afraid of, uh, of the sick. 
or the dying, and we need not be afraid of being sick or dying ourselves. The last beautiful prayer that accompanies the dying isn't just for those moments when we are in the vicinity of someone about to die. There are millions and millions of people. There are always thousands of people who are about to see God. It's always appropriate for us to have them then in our prayers and on our minds, knowing that this minute someone will see God. So join me now in the commendation of the dying. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Respond, pray for them. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for them. Saint Michael, pray for them. Holy angels of God, pray for them. Saint John the Baptist, pray for them. Saint Joseph, pray for them. Saint Peter and Saint Paul, pray for them. Saint Andrew, pray for them. Saint John, Saint Mary Magdalene, Saint Stephen, Saint Ignatius, Saint Lawrence. Saint Perpetua and Saint Felicity, Saint Agnes, Saint Gregory, Saint Augustine, Saint Athanasius, Saint Basil, Saint Martin, Saint Benedict, Saint Francis and Saint Dominic, Saint Francis Xavier, Saint John Vianney, Saint Catherine, Saint Teresa, all holy men and women, please respond, Lord, save your people. Lord, be merciful. Lord, save your people. From all evil, from every sin, from everlasting death, by your coming as man, by your death and rising to new life, by your gift of the Holy Spirit, be merciful to us sinners. Jesus, Son of the living God, we commend you, our dear brothers and sisters, to Almighty God and entrust you to your Creator. May you return to him who formed you from the dust of the earth. May Holy Mary, the angels, and all the saints come to meet you as you go forth from this life. May Christ, who was crucified for you, bring you freedom and peace. May Christ, who died for you, admit you into his garden of paradise. May Christ, the true shepherd, acknowledge you as one of his flock. May he forgive all your sins and set you among those he has chosen. May you receive your redeem, may you see your redeemer face to face and enjoy the vision of God forever. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.